0: Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring this show to you commercial-free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com, and Milu, M I I L Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, Photographer'sEdit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Book of Podcast episode, and uh, I'm excited to have Elizabeth Austin Davis with me today. Thanks, Elizabeth, for hanging out with me. First thing on a Monday, amongst all the craziness going on in our lives right now, really appreciate it.
1: (laughs) No problem. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well, and I was telling you before we started recording, I'm so impressed with what you're doing with your brand. And we're going to actually talk today about how you've gone from being a volume photographer to a boutique photographer. You're actually based in the Atlanta market. Is that right?
1: Yes, yes. So it's been an interesting journey, but I'm really excited to kind of talk about it and the steps that I took so people can understand which one kind of works best for them.
0: Yeah, well, and for a little bit more context for everybody listening in, if you just go to Elizabeth Austin Photography, and that's A-U-S-T-I-N, Elizabeth with a Z, Elizabeth Austin Photography, and uh, then the same thing, actually, Elizabeth Austin on, or excuse me, Elizabeth Austin photo on Instagram. We'll link to both of those mm-hmm. in the show notes at com. but you can see Elizabeth's work, uh, her website, get a little bit more context to the conversation, but let's just jump right in Elizabeth from your mm-hmm. experience as a business owner. And by the way, how many years have you been in business so far?
1: A little bit over five at okay. this point.
0: So five years mm-hmm. in, what would you say is one of the most important principles behind providing a wonderful customer experience?
1: For me, I really felt that having a robust workflow really helped me have my clients have a better experience.
0: Okay, I I have to say, I like you already because that might be the first time (laughs) a photographer has answered with that. Um, I'm a a workflow nerd. Uh, I love this kind of stuff. So how has that affected your client experience?
1: It it makes... 100% hundred percent of a difference. So for me, I think I was uh, anti-studio software, like uh, management software, for a long time. Really? I don't know why. It, it really wasn't. It really wasn't uh, an intentional thing. I just really thought I didn't need it. So it really wasn't until I got some studio software and I started to really understand at what point of of the process that my clients needed to be touched, like what I needed to be doing. Uh, three months before the wedding, uh, what type of emails they needed to get and kind of automating those that even those simple emails that were automated to my client allowed them to have those touch points with me, but have me have less touch points with them, you know? So, Um, allowing that and having those conversations before really, really helped because I struggled with that in the beginning, especially when I was volume and serving all of my clients and understanding that 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 experience is really what allows me to book more weddings because their references really mean a lot to my business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about being able to keep connected with them without having to have your hands in that process 24 seven, because that would be overwhelming, especially shooting volume. Uh, but really at, at any point, the last thing that we want to have to do is constantly be on our phone, on our email mm-hmm. and messaging. And, um, so it is nice to have a system that helps automate that and manage that process. Ultimately, is there a particular CRM that you're currently using that you recommend?
1: Yeah. So, um, and I currently use HoneyBook. Okay, cool. Definitely recommend them. Um, I absolutely love uh, even outside of the client management that they have the uh, the system where you could talk to uh, other photographers, like if you need a second photographer yeah. so it 's very in- integrated uh that way, so yeah, I really like that system so that 's where I land it
0: that 's really cool okay, so we 'll link to honeybook in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. By the way, for everybody listening in, if you're, if you're relatively new to the show, just know that the show notes are actually a pretty great resource at the podcast, the book podcast Haley puts together show notes. So that's in you know, the links to the resources that we mentioned, the talking points from the podcast, make sure you take advantage of that at bocapodcast.com. Let's talk about brand position. You're in a massive mm-hmm. market, the Atlanta market. It can be tough mm-hmm. to stand out with so many photographers there. What is the unique value proposition or your brand position there in the Atlanta market?
1: So I really hone in on being a film photographer Okay. and um, being a film photographer in the way that I shoot film and specializing in shooting film of people of color, um, interracial marriages. So what I, I try to make sure that with my images, um, I be I'm very inclusive in the the type of people that I shoot. Yeah. So I feel like because I try to do that, and that's a part of my my brand, that's what kind of makes me different in the market and shooting film as well.
0: That's interesting. And so I'm I'm looking at your website and and now I'm on, on your Instagram account as well, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing that it really is a, a lovely mix. It's very inclusive. How do you effectively Mm -hmm. communicate that, though? Because I don't see it. it, It's not in bold anywhere that I can see. Is there a way that you communicate that to potential clients through marketing messages or emails or anything like that? Because I think it would be a really interesting position to run on.
1: Yeah. So for me, no, I don't have any like wording that I, that I put out there. I really just work on making sure that my, the photos that you see are represented of different people and different cultures. So I really try to do that. And then, um, I do have like my ideal client and speaking to her and her being able to see herself in my work allows me to be in that position. And my, and my business was not always like that. It was very strategic for me to do that because it was really important on one end because i i knew i could shoot and i wanted everyone to feel welcome and i knew that my bride was was just a a good person across you know any uh, across any you know culture and i wanted her to to see that so yeah so that's kind of how i do that and just making sure and being conscious of it and uh, is how I position myself.
0: Well, I mean, the images, as you as you pointed out, they do speak for your, themselves. And I'm scrolling through as you're talking. And first of your portfolio, your your photography is just <laughs> stunning. I mean, truly. Thank
1: you. And it, it's
0: <laughs> you know, there's so many photographers out there, so it's hard to see a portfolio and just kind of be taken aback. But your your work really is beautiful, and it is diverse. And honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. So we've had. Um, I, I, have you heard of Petronella Lugemwa? So a photographer based out of Jersey. Yeah. So Petronella has been on the show um, a couple, at least Mm -hmm. twice now, and Mm -hmm. she runs on that position up in the Jersey market um, about Mm -hmm. being, about photographing multicultural weddings. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anybody doing that in the Atlanta market. So, I mean, your imagery does speak for itself, but if you were to actually run with that and and put that front and center Mm -hmm. when somebody lands on your website and, you know, do Mm -hmm. that for the sake of SEO, it may just take you even that much further um, than what you're already doing as far as your marketing efforts, because it seems like there's a really incredible opportunity to run in that position in the Atlanta market. I haven't done the research myself, but I don't know yeah. of any Atlanta wedding photographer that's running in that position.
1: And no, And I, and I think, like you said, it is a unique position. And I feel again, like even from, for me on a, uh, from a spiritual place it's yeah. It's what I want the world to be and yes. it's what I want people to see. so if I'm if I'm gonna have a business and I have a, uh, uh, a voice to be able to change something, then I want to be I'm, I'm always going to project what I think is positive. So I love uh, it. definitely definitely an amazing you know opportunity and I hope that more people aren't afraid to uh, show different types of people.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Well, and we we actually do separate brand position consultations here in the Boca Podcast. This isn't that, uh, but I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the homepage of your website, and you know, I'm seeing these images scrolling, and and you're using the words romantic and joyful, and uh, mm-hmm. authentic is another one that pops up. And I scroll to the next one, mm-hmm. and elegant. Some of these words that you hear on a lot of photographers' websites, I can only imagine how just powerful and impactful it would be. To couple with the images, which, again, are quite diverse as they're scrolling through, um, it, just mm-hmm. a really simple, distinct message that, that states that you photograph multicultural weddings or that you photograph um, across many cultures, something referencing mm-hmm. that and just simple text would be really, really powerful. So um, just a thought. I just yeah. want to throw that out there because it seems like a really yeah. incredible opportunity. And your work is, again, it's just stunning. So major props to you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Well, let's, let's keep moving, though, because we have kind of a big topic to get into. We're going to talk about how you mm-hmm. went from volume to boutique. But talk to me about free time. Um, you mentioned to mm-hmm. me that you have a three and five-year-old. And I mean, having little kids, I know from experience, can keep you busy. How do you balance being a mom and then running a business and making space for yourself? Uh, how, is there a particular workflow tip or technique that you can recommend to our listeners? Shh.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is mentally allowing yourself to shut down and to remove yourself from your business. Hmm. Um, And I think even outside of any, you know, having business hours and all of that, like for me, I could be playing with my kids, but I'm thinking about work. Hmm. So really allowing myself to walk away and to say that this is a boundary that now it's mom time and trying to have really and having them separate. Uh, really allows me to have a a better balance because I struggled with it in the beginning, especially trying to build my business, Um, still working a full-time job, having a baby. Um, He was a little bit, you know, a lot smaller back then, being pregnant, shooting 20 weddings (laughs) while I was pregnant. So, you know, I really felt that understanding that you have to disconnect that you can connect and be present in what's happening with your family. So I think over the last like year and a half, that's really has been my main thing of what I try to do and keep things like separate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And it really is, you know, I know it can be tough to keep things separate at times, but at the very least, as you pointed out, just setting work aside for a few moments or a few hours consciously doing that. It's so, so important. Mm -hmm. One of the things that enables us to do that though, is is outsourcing or delegating work in our business. Is that something that you've experimented with in your company?
1: Oh, Oh, absolutely. So I actually, now I have an assistant that kind of helps with some of my workflow things because I'm very, with me uh, being more of a boutique business now, yeah. I'm very hands on with my clients and I wanted them to have that personal touch. Mm. So now having an assistant to kind of help with those questions and do some of like the submissions and things like that. She also edits as well for me. Definitely outsourcing and understanding that I couldn't do it all. And in order for me to grow, I had to let things go. So the time that I was spending, you know, editing or the time that I was spending submitting to blogs was was time that I could have been marketing or, you know, doing something else that was more valuable to my business. So, uh, I kind of separate my task into what are, and I got this from someone else. Uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she runs Blavity and she separated it a- in a way that really made sense to me. Okay. And it was uh, saying that it, it, what is a CEO task and what is an operating task? Mm. What is what is uh, what is going to run your business versus what's going to project your business and making moving forward the something that you have to yes. be a part of. So once, she, once I was able to get that from her, that was like a click to me to say, okay, I need to look at what I'm doing, even in my workflow, to be able to take away the things that, (laughs) that aren't necessarily something that I should be doing now that I can build my business in a way to financially sustain having help. So, yeah. So being able to do that and seeing those, putting those tasks in those two different buckets really helped.
0: That's, I love how you sum that up too. And I don't think I've quite heard it explained that way on the podcast before. We've talked a number of times about the difference between proactive and reactive tasks. And on a business level, Mm -hmm. what I've said is that reactive tasks are those things that have to be done for the business to exist. So kind of like what you're talking about with operator tasks, Uh, but Mm -hmm. the proactive tasks are those that actually move the business forward that help increase the bottom line. And in many cases, really you can get the best results by being involved yourself. And yes. that's where that CEO kind of the big picture tasks that that you're focusing on. I love the distinction that you've created there. And man, I'm already thinking about the possibility of doing a second episode with you if you'd ever be willing yes. just, just to talk yes. about workflow because it's, there are not many photographers out there that just seem to kind of naturally get the thought process behind delegation and workflow Mm -hmm. and management. And I think we might have a really great opportunity to dig in there. So maybe we come back to that at some point, but I really appreciate your perspective there. Let's actually talk about inspiration. This is something kind of a newer question that I've been asking this year outside Mm -hmm. of photography, because again, it's easy to jump on Instagram, just scroll through photographers, Instagram accounts and find quote unquote inspiration. But do you find inspiration or motivation outside of the photography industry?
1: Oh absolutely. So for me I really find inspiration in my travels. Okay. So I I really like to uh, explore different places and, and and before you know everything that's going on now, but um that was something that really was food to my soul just being able to see the world from different from people's uh, different perspective. So being able to um, bring that in, and then also another way that I, sp- I find inspiration um, right now, because I know, especially with me with weddings, you know, burnout is real. Yeah. Um, so I, I started a, a passion project is focused on um, African American women and our hair and our journey with our hair. Okay. Um, because it's a little bit different in the way that we are kind of perceived sometimes from our hair, even inside of schools, you know, workplaces, our hair being in its natural state is sometimes is seen as uh, unkept. So I wanted to kind of highlight that, even as me being a woman of color shooting photography and all these different places with all these different for different people, I have uh, experienced, you know, the the self-doubt of what does my hair look like? So hmm. um, I've traveled the, the country just documenting women, taking photos of them and asking them how, when did they fall in love with their hair, stories about their hair, and just the journey, the self-reflection and journey that um, women go through with um, the experience, the shared experiences that we have, and then the unique experience that each woman has with their, with their hair. So that's another way passion projects, traveling, and just consistently shooting, shooting my family as well. I think that that is the kids always keep it fun.
0: So (laughs) So that's
1: another way too.
0: (laughs) well, but you actually have a dedicated Instagram account called the black hair experience, which is is beautifully curated, by the way. Um, and what a Uh, fascinating project.
1: Yes yeah, so I can't take all the all the credit for the curation of the Instagram. I have a business partner her name is Alicia. She is a graphic designer and she does all of the uh, of all of the curation for that and okay. um her business is Brown Girl Hustle. She's uh, in school at SCAD. So she does all of that for us but you know uh, the the main point of the project is p- is to be able to celebrate women of color for them to see themselves for younger girls to be able to see themselves not only in the in the in the exhibit yeah. but also in the women that are creating the exhibit. So um, and that project really again came from me wanting to shoot something different, but then also still having my passion for photography but just in a different way. So yeah, that's kind of how that came about.
0: Well, it's really cool. And shout out to Alicia too, because I mean, it's just beautifully designed the colors and um, layout of the various posts. So we'll we'll link to that in the show notes for everybody who wants to to take a look. If you just go to bocapodcast.com and look under Elizabeth's episode, you'll see the link there. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's keep going though. Let's talk about self-help books, business books. Um, It could be other education Mm. resources too. Is there a particular source of education in the last few years that's been really impactful?
1: Yeah. So my main conference that I like to go to is called the hybrid Co. Yeah, I taught there last year and that's or where I met you this year. Yeah. So that uh, conference for me, because, you know, with me shooting film and digital has and it being such a niche has really allowed me to one meet other photographers that are kind of in this niche area as well. And then also just the abundance of good information that I walk away from it um, with. Uh, and then it also allows me to have a lot of touch points with photographers that I really admire that I normally wouldn't be able to see. And they're all in one place (laughs) and have these conversations with. So, uh, for me, that has been my main source of, of, of education over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. where I have been able to really see value added. I also, um, WPPI I feel like is also another good source as well, especially if you are trying to figure out what type of. gear that you would like to use or trying to figure out what type of photography you want to fall into, like what type of wedding photography, dark and moody, light and airy, like, that's another great conference because it's so big. It allows you to see different perspectives right. that you normally would, wouldn't see. And then the exhibit is really great. So <laughs> there's always amazing sales. Everyone is there. You get to play with the cameras, ask all your questions. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that is another good one that, um, that I've been to over the years. So those two are kind of like what I what I stick to.
0: That's good. Well, and yeah, hybrid, as you mentioned, we had the opportunity to meet there. It is a very, this year was my first time at hybrid and it it is very much niche, but it's nice to be able to Mm -hmm. go to a conference where you can connect with like-minded people. And in this case, Mm -hmm. obviously film being kind of the common denominator. And so we'll we'll link to the hybrid and the hybrid conference in the show notes at Boca Podcast. WPPI is an interesting conversation these days because I've I've seen this mm-hmm. vast change in the last almost twenty years, and I've been going to it for maybe sixteen years or so. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just been there's been such a significant change. It seems the industry is moving more towards smaller conferences like hybrid. But you're very right about WPPI being such a great place, not only to, to try gear out, but to be exposed to a variety of photographers' work, especially in the exhibit. And, um, yes. I, I love the, I love the very proactive kind of positive, um, way that you, that you framed the conference in that way, because honestly, I've been disappointed in the last couple of years, two or three yeah. years, and I've seen things kind of go downhill. But I think there's always something to be taking from a situation. And I like that you're looking at the positive side there too. So of course we'll link to WPPI in the show notes as well. Well, let's, let's jump to the main conversation at hand. First of all, you mentioned that you've been shooting Now, for five years, we're going to be talking Mm -hmm. about how you went from shooting volume to to more of a boutique studio. What was Mm -hmm. your starting price point, if you don't mind me asking, when you started five years ago?
1: Yeah. So, um, when I first started out, I started out at 2000 and it was for eight hours so i kind of came into the market a little bit higher and i started off 2000 and then i went to 2500 and okay. then i had a 3000 package and but nobody ever booked that one so i i kind of lingered at 2000 and 2500
0: and so that was a kind of a starting point which honestly is pretty impressive because i think a lot of photographers mm-hmm. have started at a at a lower price point than that i mean i even mm-hmm. started personally and this was quite a while ago to be fair but Um, I started, I think my first wedding ass shot for $350 and I was shooting film back Mm -hmm. then too. So of course I lost money because I had to get the 10 rolls of film or whatever it was developed. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, for you to start at Mm -hmm. two grand, which kind of puts you at, I would say in the top 25 to 30% or so of the market, uh, just to begin Mm -hmm. with, is pretty Mm -hmm. awesome, especially in a big market like Atlanta. Um, I mean, there's certainly opportunity to start at that price point there, but what is your average starting price now?
1: So I start off at 5,000 now, okay. and that is for about six hours of, of service. And the way that I have my packages now is a, a la carte where um, each hour is a, like I have a credit based system where a credit is uh, $550. And then you could build your package the way that you want. So again, with me being uh, more of a boutique and me coming into working with planners, I really try to work in the budget that each bride has, but still uh, creating the integrity across each wedding where everyone's getting the same price. So if your wedding requires eight hours coverage... Then we would do eight hours of coverage. But if another wedding is a bigger wedding and it requires 10 hours of coverage, we create a custom package to you. So for you. So that price really, um, really varies on the wedding. So it can go anywhere up to 10,000, down to five. Like that's, I know that's a big gap, but that's kind of how I run that side, you know, run the business so that it makes sense for every hour that I'm shooting, I'm making the same amount of money.
0: That's no, that's wonderful actually, and and that you know some photographers will talk about being a high end photographer, a boutique photographer. Um, you actually mm-hmm. just looking at again at market data, you actually are a boutique photographer because shooting at five grand and going up from there that puts you in the top, I'd say something like seven to eight percent or so of the market, um, and mm-hmm. and you're in a great place to do that. Again, Atlanta, there's quite a bit of money there. So there's a great opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of mine that market at five to 10 grand. I mean, that that's a price point at which um, I, when after I or I guess when I was shooting full time last, this is back in 2012. That was the mm-hmm. range where we sat as well It was four to 10, depending on if there were one or two photographers. Uh, right. And that definitely narrows the market quite a bit. And, it does. And of course, you don't have the volume because I shot as many as 30 or 40 weddings in a year. When I was shooting at a lower price point, you go up, naturally, it makes that number smaller. What was the the most number of weddings that you shot in a year when you were at a lower price point?
1: So I shot about 30 to 35 when wow. I was at a, a, at a lower price point. Yeah. So when I came into the market and we'll talk about this, when we talk about, you know, the steps that I took to change my, my position in the market. Sure. But when I came, when I came into the market, I used my editorial work to really speak to my, my ideal uh, client. Um, I was second shooting for a while. I knew I could shoot. I just didn't have anything to show that potential bride that, to, for her to see herself in my work. So I would still have the full wedding galleries. Um, and I would do a lot of, um, you know, um, like engagement shoots with friends to get, to get work at that, you know, for, um, those clients. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I, I was able to, to change from one to the next.
0: And what made you decide ultimately to go from volume to boutique?
1: Uh, my family so okay. it was really it was really a um understanding what i wanted what I wanted my life to look like mm. um with my kids yep. And, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was very, very hungry. I really, really wanted, you know, to make this work. This is what I wanted to do. Um, To even go deeper, when I was 27, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Oh, wow. And I went through that process. And my my story is not, you know, the worst of anybody's experience. I never want to, like, you know, try to project that. But from a mental standpoint, it allowed me to look at life to say, like, what did I, how I wanted to live my life. Like, if I'm not going to be here tomorrow, what is going to make me happy? And it was shooting weddings. Hmm. So when that happened, I started to do, I just started to get as many weddings as I possibly could. Um, and then I said, well, now my quality of life sucks. <laughs> and so <laughs> let's think about how we can change this yeah. and still fulfill, you know, this need to shoot, but be a mom and be a wife and have this balance in understanding that what is my happy place in terms of the number and of, of the amount of money that I make, because I can make a lot of money. But if my home life isn't good, then what's yes. the point?
0: A hundred percent. I love that. You, mm-hmm. And this is I love how practical you're thinking about this, too. We, we talk about this idea mm-hmm. quite a bit on the podcast, the notion of a big picture view, having overarching goals for our lives personally and how that should then determine the business model, which should then determine how we're spending our time daily as business owners and it seems as though that's, that's the approach you've taken. You said, you know what? This mm-hmm. is the life I want. So in order to have that life, these are the things I need to do. And in this case, it meant uh, one of those significant changes meant going from a lower price point, shooting at volume, raising the price point and shooting less, which brings us to now. But I, I mm-hmm. as you pointed out, you're going to share some of the steps, the important steps involved in making that transition because it's a big one, right? Like, I mean, one yes. of the things that comes to mind, maybe you're going to comment on this is, when you, when you're shooting clients, let's just say at an average of two grand and you suddenly start mm-hmm. shooting at five grand, you've naturally mm-hmm. priced yourself out of the income bracket for your pre-existing clients. So Absolutely. the referrals will likely go down because they're likely friends with people who make similar amounts of money and in many cases anyway. So the referrals go down. How did you handle that? And maybe we can kind of just go from there into the, the big steps that you took in this change.
1: Yes. So, um, over the year that I transitioned, um, I transitioned my prices slowly just for that reason. So, um, it wasn't just like a hard stop and then change. So when I started for, from 2000, I was shooting at around maybe 3,500 when I decided I needed to go, uh, I needed to change and to go up. So over, over that season, I started just to charge Every new client that would come in, I would charge more and more until I finally got to the price that I wanted to be at and okay. that I was comfortable at. Because there is a you, are, you are going to lose weddings because you are changing basically the philosophy of your business. Um, so for me, I could not do that and sustain my business at the same time. So I did it slowly, and then um, I rebranded my my biz, my company altogether. Hmm. So the old. Uh, name of my company was unique to chic photography. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's a long it's a long story as of why that was the name of it. And we'll get into that another time. Okay. But um well I only really laugh
0: too because I can relate. I my my company was called expressive photography at one point too. So um I can relate in in the kind of the the painful hindsight. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> I don't and you know like I'll tell the story. It, I at one point I wanted to have a clothing store and that was gonna be the name of the clothing store okay. and I already paid for like the name and everything. And I was like, well, I'm gonna do photography now. I already have the URL. So this is gonna be the name of it. Hindsight 2020, I should have never done that. But, <laughs> you know, for, for the first three years of my business, that was the name of my uh, business. And that name did not speak to the clientele that I was trying to book. Mm. Uh, they didn't understand it. Uh, I literally had a number two in between two words. It just, it didn't connect very well with the person that I was trying to communicate with. Yeah. So the very first step that I took is uh, having... Uh, Is a rebrand. And inside of that rebrand, really honing in and understanding who am I talking to? Like, where does she shop? Where what type of profession does she have? Um, Where does she hang out? Who are her friends? Like, is she someone that could see herself in my work? So once I understood who she was, then the last step that I did is I did editorials to elevate my brand in a way to um, speak to that ideal client. So um, I really made an effort to make sure that the bigger shoots that I did and really invested in those shoots that they really spoke to, to, to what I was trying, how I was trying to change my business into Elizabeth Austin photography. And then during that big shoot, we also did a branding video as well of me talking and just basically saying why I love photography and why I'm a photographer and why I shoot, but making it in a way where someone felt that they can connect with me. So those three steps really helped and really honing in on my, my messaging, but the imagery really needed to be elevated to speak to um, that type of clientele. And I was able to use my old work. So this doesn't mean that like, oh, now I got to throw everything away and start, start again. Like, no, that's not the case. I really took a look at at the work that I had and just curated it in a way that was better um, for the type of brand that I wanted. So I would show less, instead of showing more. yes, And I would, at this point, I'm really moving into film photography. So at the end of my, like this transition, uh, I wasn't making as much money as I should have been per wedding, because I wanted to uh, position myself as a film photographer. So I had to shoot film. So that was another thing that's very important to me, especially with being hybrid. I I did not want to for brides to come to me as a film photographer, and then I'm shooting one roll of, of a film on my on the wedding day. Right. So I really wanted to have that built in, you know, um, so when they ask for a gallery, they can see what they would get. And they were still happy with the work, and it's still connected with them, because it, it spoke to them. So even with styling, and started to really pay attention to the details on a wedding day, and understanding uh, a different way of me shooting. I did all of this before I even, you know, launched my new business, so that I could have the content to make the transition. So um, that's kind of how I did it. And the but the the rebrand and of the video really connected very well, and the editorial even to this day is still being used by different publications because that one editorial we took like the entire team took a lot of time to think through. What we were trying to communicate to potential brides.
0: Yeah. The, the communication piece is huge. Would you do me a favor though? Just one more time, just in like 15, 20 seconds, sum up the three main points and I've got some follow-up questions mm-hmm. for you as well, but sum up those three steps one more time for me, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So the first is a rebrand. Okay. The second is pricing. And then the third is the editorials. <laughs>
0: okay, cool. I, no, I appreciate that. And, and I, I wanted to sum it up for our listeners, but let's just kind of go back through each one of them if you don't mind. So the rebrand, mm-hmm. I, I guess a lot of what we're talking about when we say rebrand is, is the, the way that you're communicating your brand to yes. the potential client, uh, especially through this video. Is, is that video on the site currently?
1: Yes. So if you go to my about page, you'll yeah. see the video and it's also on my Instagram page. Perfect. But even in terms of the rebrand, it was really understanding how I wanted to the like the images that I was choosing to post and the captions or even on my my page on my website as well. So um, I know not everyone is in a position like you have a, a photography name that you absolutely love. This doesn't mean that you have to go out and you know, buy a new website, sure. but just even changing the photos that you're showing. And if there, if you are shooting, and I always use this as an example, if you're shooting at barns or if you're shooting in, you know, cathedrals and you don't want to do that anymore, then don't show that. So it was really um, for me to be able to uh, with also, um, changing my business name and all of that, but really honing in on the type of images that I was putting out and the way and, and the amount of images that I w- that I was putting out as well. Because I was the type on my website, it would be like a hundred pa- uh, photos in <laughs> yeah. one gallery, and yeah. that is totally like simplistic, less is more. Um, I took that approach to going into more of a boutique.
0: I, I think that's great. And particularly for a boutique studio, although I think that many photographers could just stand to do that in general. It, it's funny how, you know, we've gone just because we shoot digital imagery, uh, in many cases, you're, of course, you naturally limit yourself because you're shooting film. A lot of photographers, most photographers mm-hmm. are shooting digital. And so it's like this, Unspoken, kind of subconscious free for all where we just give our clients a thousand twelve hundred fifteen hundred images, and there 's really little room for them to appreciate the individual yes. quality of you know just one image, this incredible moment that you 've captured or this amazing composition because they 're just overwhelmed with more images than they realistically are going to actually look at with you know much attention, uh, so mm-hmm. I think less is more is a really important thing for everybody to remember. Uh, of course, there was a change in name you mentioned. The video piece—how did you how did you land on the videographer, and and did they help you put together the the idea, the concept for the video?
1: Yeah. So uh, the videographer was actually a friend of mine. He actually is a professional, like he works for BT, like oh, behind cool. the scenes type videographer. Yeah. So he he was very kind enough to come down from New York to uh, film this for us. Um, so he did uh, two videos. And I knew that I needed something to communicate directly with brides. And I really wanted it to show me working, but in a very soft, romantic way. Mm. So he did an overall video for the shoot that we were working on. And then he did my branding video video after that. So the video is literally just me shooting um, on that editorial. And then later on, I did a voiceover and really just explained like, why I love photography and, you know, like when I look through a film camera, the world is just different to me. Um, and just like a very, like I sent him like five or six different, like he asked me a couple questions and he put it together to really speak to the type of brand that I was trying to build and what I was trying to communicate that for me as moving him in, into more, you know, into the more boutique lane, as you were saying, even volume, um, I wanted each of my photos kind of be seen as art and to be seen as family heirlooms, like being very big on, on that part of the experience of, you know, being, uh, of getting married. So I don't really, um, communicate a lot. Um, and this is one thing I know as myself, I want to work on really saying what like inside of my client experience, what, makes me different. Uh, Like on my website, I think that's important as well. And that was the feedback that um, I was given. Like what, I include all these things inside of a wedding. Like my assistant comes on a wedding day. Like we have, we have a unveiling after, you know, your wedding and we'll review your images together. Like all of those different things are all those different touch points are selling points. um, So that you can really make yourself and your experience that this person is going to have with you different. So um, that's kind of what I did with the video to lead them into having um, a conversation.
0: And then, what about the pricing too? Did, I mean, you mentioned five grand starting. Was there? Was that just kind of an arbitrary number? How did you land on that particular number? How did that make sense for your business model and for the market that you're in?
1: Yeah, no. So that number is built into how many rolls of film that I shoot. Okay. My overhead costs. You know what I'm going to be able to take home. So that five, like that five fifty an hour that I talked about. All of that cost is built in into that. So I generally say um, if. For each hour, um, I'm going to shoot maybe two or three rolls of film, um, and or I think it's five. I think I have five built in there um, for each hour. So if I have a smaller wedding, then I know if it's six hours, then I can shoot the, you know that many rolls. So I have that's the kind of way that I decided to move about it. And then even with me moving into boutique, I felt that not just having that one price and saying this is what my pricing is allowed me to. Uh, be a little bit more flexible as I was changing my pricing. So if there was a wedding that came up that was six hours, I could still get it and still, you know, build something unique to them and give them that experience on the front end. And I'm not losing money because the amount of time that I'm shooting, I'm still making the same per hour, you know? So for me, that's why, you know, in my steps, I feel like you analyzing your pricing and understanding how much you want to take home, what your overhead is. Um, if you can have an assistant or if you need to outsource editing your wedding, especially if you shoot film, you have to know what that cost looks like for you before you do anything else, before you change your pricing. And I I'm a, a, a firm believer. If you gradually change instead of a hard stop, it will, you will see, um, I think it's easier that way, especially in this marketplace with the way that things are changing. I feel like it's easier to do it over uh, one full wedding season um, to position yourself that way.
0: And then you mentioned the editorials. Uh, Do you mean Mm -hmm. by editorials like styled shoots or what what are you referencing there?
1: So um, I do mean style shoots. And again, for me, because I'm trying to position myself, I don't call them style shoots. I yeah. call them editorials yeah. because majority of the time I am shooting with a publication in mind. Okay. So for me, and I know style shoots uh, are such a, I like, I have a whole course um, talking about style shoots and like the strategy behind how to use them. I feel, uh, I won't say correctly, but use them to add value um, to your business. Okay. You know, the type, the people that you partner with, the money that you spend, all of that matters. So for me, when I really was doing editorials, it was really to make sure that I needed to change the scenery, the type of venues that I w- that I was shooting at. In Atlanta, there's a venue called the Swan House, which is like my absolute favorite venue to shoot at, yeah. but it's also one of the most expensive venues in Atlanta. So it's very difficult to get into that venue. So for me. Again, because um, the base of my business is always multicultural, um, showing diversity. I knew that my bride was getting married there, and she wanted to get married there. She just didn't see herself there, so I strategically had to pay to shoot there. Hmm. But I, that one shoot allowed for so many brides to see themselves that I booked seven weddings from that oh, one wow. editorial. So, you know, and even working with the planners, working with the florists, the makeup artists, like developing that team. And I didn't work with all of them before. Um, and before that happened, I um, only work with the, the planner. And I really wanted to bring her in and uh, for us to be able to have more face time with each other because she's an amazing uh, planner in Atlanta. And I really want, and I knew that this editorial was going to be published, and I knew it was going to be in print, just because of the way that it was coming together. I said, "This is very different. It's unique. It's special. Somebody's going to want to take this," and it it, it did what it was supposed to do. So, you know, definitely now with with editorials, I know that group editorials, and you know, uh, the the market is saturated with them now, um, especially with publications not wanting to 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 show them that much anymore. But I still feel as photographers, you can do smaller micro editorials for yourself and your brand to consistently communicate and to have you know those unique elements on, on your page. Because not every wedding, and this is how I feel even with my clients, I'm there to serve them. And I will do what I can to, of course, make it pretty to for publication and you know, my creative eye. But not every wedding, uh, for my clientele, they care about the details. Like I literally have a wedding this year where both of them work on Capitol Hill and I can't show the pictures at all. And that continuously happens to me because I work in DC a lot as well. So for me, I know that I need those uh, those images just to be able to show,
0: right. just to be
1: able to, to um, have for content. Um, so for me, yes, editorials having... Uh, consistency, that content that is consistent. And after I've done the due diligence of learning what I was doing, it really helps me fill in those gaps.
0: Wow. What we're going to link to, there's actually a section uh, on Elizabeth's website and in, in the gallery uh, for editorials. We'll link to that page in the show notes as well. So you can see this work. It's beautiful. I was kind of scrolling through as you were talking there, Elizabeth, it just, it's really, really lovely. And um, Thank you. this is one of those instances where like I get a chance to talk with you. I see your work. I see what you're doing with your business. And, and I'm like, how do more people not know about you and what you're doing? I mean, it's, it's just really, really amazing. And, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I truly appreciate you making time to share your perspective, your experience. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, what you've just you've done so incredibly in such a short amount of time in just five years. It's really, really awesome. Um, Thank will, you. Will you just share with our listeners one more time where they can find you and follow you, follow you online as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I am on Instagram at Elizabeth Austin photo, um, the same for Facebook, Elizabeth Austin photo or photography. And then my website is Elizabeth Austin com.
0: And by the way, Elizabeth didn't ask me to say this, but there is a section on her website uh, <laughs> entitled education. She referenced the education yes. that she offers and you can learn more about that there on her website as well. Make sure you check that out. Uh, yes. thanks again, Elizabeth. This has been really lovely. Thanks for making time for all of us.
1: Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at BocaPodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial-free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.